0: you are enjoying a little plot twist to start another episode of Records and Riffs. This is not Guster, which is the normal intro and outro music on the show, but instead a different band, a band I will be talking about and talking with on this particular episode. And the overwhelming likelihood is unless you were specifically directed to this episode by the band in question I'm going to be talking about and talking with, you don't know them. But pretty damn good and I wanted to talk with them about what it's like to be a band that sounds awesome and yet at the same time have hit, you know, your stride. And the song you're hearing in the background, by the way, is titled Strides. I'll get to the band name in just a second. But then to have it all stunted by the pandemic and to try and continue to push toward making it as a talented musical outfit and trying to recover from what the pandemic ended for so many Groups, industries, you know, I'm within live music and things that obviously transcend that. So this band is called Maj Dika and they are from the greater Raleigh, North Carolina area. Uh, the record they recorded and produced themselves and released themselves came out in 2019. I happened to accidentally stumble upon it in the spring here of 2022, and... I loved it. It's it's all of a 7-8 song uh, LP, but I was like, man, these guys sound super tight. How long have they been around? And they are a little-known outfit that has occasionally played live gigs around the Triangle area in North Carolina. But I could easily see them because of their sound, their obvious musicianship, their craftsmanship. I could easily see a group like this finding a real foothold into making a full-time living uh, being a touring and, you know, studio band, uh, for years and years to come. I don't know if that will happen though. You'll discover on the, on this episode where I talk with the band's two core members, Evan Boston, Andy Blair, who play keyboards and guitar respectively, why they're currently stuck where they're at. But you know, this, this podcast has talked plenty about many mainstream bands I did want to get into some more niche avenues you know some topics that to me are pretty interesting and if you are a music lover I think you would find interesting as well Well, you know let's go into the heart of a band that has not made it as far from it but you can clearly hear it and I'll play some song drops throughout this episode if you are into uh, progressive rock jam band scene also, I'm, uh, there's a few Steely Dan references. Just clear musicianship. If that is kind of your bag, I think you might wind up liking this group. I will have links in the podcast episode description and at mattnorlander.com where this episode will be hosted so you can check out uh, the music on YouTube and then it's also available on Spotify. Again, this is Majdeka, M-A-J-D-E-E-K-A. What's with that name? It is actually explained on the episode here But had the pandemic not hit, there's a chance that these guys would have actually established a real regional following beyond what they were cresting toward once February of 2020 hit. And then March, you know, mid-March of that year really uh, flipped the world upside down, obviously. But I heard these guys play and I wanted to reach out. And so I did. I blind emailed them. Not knowing their story, I went into this saying, here's a, here's a band that's awesome. They've got very little online presence, online following. I knew nothing about them, but I wanted to go into this blind and and trying to get an understanding of you guys sound so tight, so developed. You sound as though you've been playing together for a pretty long time why aren't you a bigger deal and then i learned pretty much everything over the course of this episode that you're going to hear here so i hope you do enjoy it it's a little bit of a curveball but i did enjoy talking to these fellows i hope you like it go find them if you if this is your sound go support them and they are uh, i think they are in the process of trying to really regain some footing and momentum as we head into the back half of 2022 here but this is an episode about what happens when you are a group trying to ascend then a once in a lifetime pandemic hits, really sends you backward and you try and regroup literally and gather some of that momentum that happened before. You know, a lot of times we hear about bands talk about where they were in the early stages, what it was like to live through the struggle. These guys are actually doing that right now and I don't know if anything will become of them or not, but I certainly hope that there is and this can be part of, you know, their interesting and a bit convoluted origin story. So here is a conversation about a lot of things, what goes into making a band, keeping a band, growing a band, sustaining a band, with the two core members of Maj Dika. Hope you enjoy. All right, so I am here with two members of Maj Dika. This is an episode unlike any I've ever done, but I'm, I'm fascinated by this group, and I had to do this. I blind emailed these dudes out of nowhere earlier this spring, and uh, I'm thankful they are coming on. Their names are Andy Blair and Evan Bost. Andy plays guitar yes, in Majdika. Sir. Evan mm-hmm. plays keyboards. They both, they both sing. I believe Evan would be technically qualified as the lead singer in the group. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. How you doing? Thanks for having us, man.
1: <laughs> Matt, thanks for having us on board and for the uh, blind email, man. That was a that was a good email to read. Uh, I was like, a random person in Connecticut is listening to our stuff and digging it. it yeah, awesome. yeah. I I definitely like double
2: taked. <laughs> did a double take when i when i like saw that email uh to me from the majdika email i was like what is going on right now this is uh it was, so was good news to to check out
0: well i'm going to have an intro for this podcast that i haven't recorded yet but um in that i will basically explain some stuff and i'll try not to talk over myself and repeat myself but i discovered your music on youtube randomly and i was nice. like damn who are these guys? I was like, who are these guys? They put out like an eight song record in 2019. Again, I'm saying this lovingly. Cause I'm, I'm blown away. Like you guys, that album, is it just Majdika? Is it self-titled? Is that what we're, we're that's call- it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, for anyone listening to this, I will link this both in the podcast description and, at mattnorlander.com, where the episode actually has to feed into the RSS to go into the podcast feeds, where you can go and, and listen to all this stuff. You'll hear some mosh tunes on this. I am fascinated by your group. One, because you sound incredible. You're basically, in my opinion... The next iteration of like an Umphreys McGee, but I want to get into your, you know, how you formed, uh, all of your musical inspirations and all that. But before we get into that, I need, I need to know how I haven't heard of you before this. You guys are based in North Carolina, Durham, Raleigh triangle area. Right. Um, mm-hmm, as yep. I understand it, Evan, I'll kind of toss this to you first. How old are you? How many different musical acts are you, you know, playing around with? Are you trying to make it as a uh, as a working musician, as a, as kind of a, a full time occupation? And Majdika just happens to be one of a, a few different projects that you're involved in.
1: Well, Majdika was um, when we formed it was, it was very serendipitous at the time for me. Um, Andy and I have known each other for probably twenty years now. Yeah, and he actually taught me my first song on keyboards in eighth grade. So we go way back and this is our third band together, but like Andy is amazing. And he's been in a bunch of bands and moved and lived in different cities. He happened to move to Raleigh and I was working, I still am working full time in a family business. Mm -hmm. Um, but when Majdika started taking off, it very much was a momentous, group and all the energy that was going into the project was, was really good. And the feedback we were getting from gigs and bookers and promoters was really good. So I don't know, I don't, I'm not a kind of person that like plans long-term looks too far into the future. But at that time, like before the pandemic, when things were really looking good and cooking, um, it was, it was very quickly getting to the point where, yeah, it was like, this is going to be, where I'm placing all of my occupational energy soon. It was it was a bad timing event when the pandemic hit. But. Andy, uh
0: on that note, so you guys really uh first of all what you released your self-titled record in 2019. Andy, when was that and then how did how did the pandemic hitting in March 2020 kind of stymie some things on behalf of the band?
2: Uh yeah, yeah the, the pandemic pretty much took all that moment, momentum out of uh the sales, you know, because mm-hmm. it just, we were really starting to play bigger rooms, um, you know, traveling a lot out of town, like down to South Carolina, you know, Virginia, whatever, starting to broaden our, our kind of
1: the markets know. we were trying to, yeah, hit. like we were <clears throat> making Charleston a market. And mm-hmm. Yeah. That. And then,
2: and then the pandemic came along, and then pretty much two years of nothing. You know, I mean, I was doing a couple gigs here and there with like an event band that was like, I mean, that's all that it really was. Um, and, uh, you know, going between drummers and everything, it was just it was just kind of kind of that hiccup turned into, you know, like a just a long pause, <laughs> I guess.
0: Understood. Now, around the Carolina Triangle scene, obviously you play these gigs, you get to know the people in the area, but be it solo artists, duos, full-on bands. Has this affected a lot of other acts, if you will, in you know in that area perhaps i don't know if you you know are familiar charlotte's a good drive away in the state or just you know maybe just over the border but has this been something that's impacted a lot of people that again you, you know they're just you're trying to cultivate a following and and really kind of establish yourself did this is this something that's kind of been uh, almost the uh, the overlooked devastation might be too hard, harsh of a word guys I, but I we're a lot so. of groups trying to make it and then <clears throat> that pandemic hits and then it's just boom and kind of i think so
2: know. especially when you're trying to <clears throat> gain that momentum and you're, and you're starting to get some, um, you know, notoriety, Man. I guess. And, yeah. and then, uh, you know, with the, I mean, when you stop doing anything for long enough, you have to really work to get that momentum back up and running. Um, so like, yeah, if I think it depends on how big you were as a band before, and if you could keep that crowd and, you know, like if you have like really a lot of diehard fans, they're not going to forget about you or anything and not to say like any of our fans forgot about us, but it's definitely when it comes to booking and staying relevant in different venues, you know, heads, I guess, um, it takes a little more work getting that back up off the ground. Okay, um, So yeah, yeah I would, I would say it definitely probably is, is an issue for more bands than
0: people realize. What's your opinion on, and your perspective on that, Evan?
1: Yeah, there, there were quite a few casualties. I think, uh, bands that were in similar boats to us that, um, never really picked up once things started opening back up. And you know, one thing I'll add that listeners of this podcast may or may not be aware of, uh, you, Matt certainly are probably aware of this. but being in a band, especially when the members are didn't all grow up together and have this like shared common vision, Of um, like there's some bands that have made it and they've been best friends from a young age. And that is such a rare, special thing. Um, But when like you put four or five people together and they become friends through the band or they become acquaintances or just co-workers, if you think about it that way. And then something like the pandemic happens where. All, all of the momentum and the gigs go away and there's no need to rehearse. There's really no need to hang out with those people unless you have other things in common and other interests. It can really just like tear the unit apart. Mm. Um, and it's hard enough to keep a band together. Cause like, you know, in some cases the, the, you know, for example, the drummer might be a full-time musician that this is their main gig, but hey, if this work dries up, they've got to fill that void with other work. And so they go find another project. And that that specific example isn't super relevant to us. But um, it's just an interesting thing that I don't think a lot of people realize. Like I've told people this. When you go to a big concert with 10,000, 15,000 people in the crowd, sometimes the musicians on that stage don't even know each other or like maybe there's a bass player that's filling in that literally has never met any of the other bandmates until yes. like two days before the gig like they flew them in or her in got them up to speed played the gig and you're at the show and you're like look at them they all there's such a cohesive unit
0: and it's like no that you
1: know some of
0: them are just working how did you form what is the story of actually uh how you guys came together what are you a four piece a five piece for people that don't know what you're about just give a, a quick recap here evan of uh, of how the uh, band came together
1: so four piece quartet rock and roll band bass keys drums guitar uh we had three part harmonies but we met there was actually a venue in raleigh that opened up that was a kind of arts co-create space and they had a studio for recording music. They had a videography team. They had a stage for live music and they had a bunch of, they had like live nude drawing night and open mic night. It was just a really cool place called Emerge that unfortunately also went under during <sighs> the pandemic. But I approached Emerge about doing an open jam um, Cause at the time I was not jamming with many people and I was like, I need a place where I can get on stage and in, in front of a crowd and the, that place, they, they made it happen. So I pulled Ryan Massacar and Matt Kirk into that with me and we formed the house band for this open jam that happened every Tuesday night at Emerge. And we did that for a long time. But a couple of months in, once it started, Andy actually moved from Richmond, Virginia, down to Raleigh. And I was like, oh, perfect. You're now in the open jam band. And that's how Majdika formed. How did you get the name? Andy, you got that one.
0: (laughs) Uh, And What the hell does it mean? Uh,
1: It's a very rare bird.
2: (laughs) No, it's literally, uh, man, we had the, hardest time coming up with the band name. I mean, just like so many different ideas and, you know, nothing stuck, but uh, literally it just it's acid jam backwards spelled wrong. That's oh, the actually, entirety of the like, meaning of it. I,
0: yeah. Acid jam spelled backwards smelled wrong. How yep. about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I dig it. There yeah. was
2: also there was a um, at least for me, I thought it was, you know, something like that would be cool because I remember listening to like a Wolfpack interview or reading something where one of the reasons they spelled, spelled it with a V is because when you searched it on Google, it'd be like the only hit, I guess, you know? So I thought that was kind of interesting as well, like to take that approach to where it's like, you're not gonna, you know, that's the only thing that's going to come up when you search it.
0: Good call. All right. When do you guys get to a point where you form and are actually, cause you know, the songs you have on this record are, impressive as hell, really intricate. This is stuff, just by listening to it, you actually kind of pull off one. Now, maybe I'm wired differently than a lot of other music people that like to listen to music. I get that. But I love when bands can challenge me as a listener, but it also just, it's smooth as hell. There are layers to it, but it doesn't (coughs) sound like you overthought the process. It just doesn't come off as though this was a laborious thing, writing songs. Maybe you're about to tell me that it was laborious as hell and you got it all wrong norlander and i'm fine with that but when did you start saying okay well, let's write some songs together oh we actually think we've got stuff here where we can actually like let's let's put this i was about to say let's put it to tape no one puts things to tape anymore let's let's record this <laughs> sounds good all right but when was that point like is, are we talking well, 2016 2017 2018 you turned around quick to release this thing in 2019 what's the story there evan when i when i was moving and
2: as soon here. as i found out i was moving to raleigh from richmond in. Uh, 2018
1: maybe I think I moved in like the beginning it was of right around yeah like New Year's yeah um, I was
2: like because I mean me and Evan have played together forever we love playing music together make, making music As soon as I found that out I was like let's get something going you know because um, we'd had projects in the past and just you know life had taken us in different areas, what areas um, but as soon as I found that out I was like let's get something going and that's when the whole kind of emerge thing started the open jam. And then, yeah, I was like, well, this drummer's sweet. You know, this bass player is good. And let's just, let's see what, what happens with this. Let's get it. Let's get together. Let's jam. I mean, Evan really kind of was the liaison for all that because he knew them and I didn't really. So Evan can take it. So,
1: take yeah. It in so yeah. in early 2018, we started meeting at Ryan the drummer's house twice a week. I think it was like, every Monday and Thursday, we had some sort of set schedule in the beginning. Cause there was so much creative energy. There was so much excitement about the project that we were, we were getting together for like, I mean, I don't think I'm 31 now. I don't think I could do this anymore, but we used to rehearse from like 8 PM to 1 AM.
2: We're
1: mm. just jam,
2: you know, and just record and see what kind of ideas came out.
1: Yeah. So in, in early 2018, we were, we were jamming like four five six seven hours a week and recording it all and then dropping those recordings in like a Dropbox, and everyone would go to work and do their other activities and be listening to those jams and so that's how um like some of the sections in funcula one came to be okay. is um like the melody Da, 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 da. that's in funky one that melody came straight out of a jam andy just started playing this melody um and i was listening back to it or matt was listening someone was like that should be in a song somewhere Mm. but I think the writing overall was very collaborative and uh, we we all kind of brought different things to the table and wrote as a group which is hard to do in a lot of bands and and especially as musicians get busier and more professional people don't really have time to spend three hours four hours in a room together hashing out one song but that's that's kind of how those songs came to be um like andy had the riff for funky load he had that riff and he showed it to us and we were like okay what are we gonna do with that riff because that is that's hot fire we got i'd had
2: i'd had that riff for probably three years like looking for something to do with it you know Some of the ideas for the songs were also older ideas that were just like, I mean, some of the riffs um, that I came up with were just things that were on my phone yes. from a long time ago or just me being in Richmond, just coming up with stuff uh, and then being like, hey, we could, you know, Lego Lego piece this together if we wanted to and kind of went from there on, on some things, you know, not definitely not close to
0: anything or all of them all of them but yeah that's kind of why i wanted to talk to you guys though because to be honest to be frank like you know uh, when people consume uh media with bands that have like made it or artists that have made it be in podcast form articles whatever it's people that have made it right for the most part they are able to sustain a living pre-pandemic even mid-pandemic whatever right you guys sound so good and yet You really are like everyday, you're incredibly talented, but in many ways you are like the everyday guy. This is how, like right now as we talk, you're almost still like a snapshot of like the story that so many people after they have made it go on to say, well, if I wasn't doing this now, I'd be doing this instead. It's just, it's, it's interesting to hear you guys talk about this because you, I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to gas you up. Like you sound like you have been together as a group for years and years and years and years and years, and, years, and you've only put out one recording, and I'm like, holy crap. <coughs> I, it's just, it's kind of astounding to me. Do you just, do you equate that to, one, you're, obviously your talent, but is there a certain, can qua, if you will, about uh, when you started to jam together and just your personalities combined with your music ability that just kind of, you know, there was a certain something special that you could feel clicking in the room, and maybe that's why you were okay rehearsing and sometimes going until one in the morning?
2: Yeah, I think we definitely all had pretty similar, you know, interests musically. And so we all kind of got off on the same sort of jams or where we're taking it were just the kind of um different influences. You know, Ryan our our drummer at the time, he uh went to Berkeley for audio engineering. Uh so I mean, he knew what he was doing on on that end, also a phenomenal drummer. Um also grew up in the listening to a lot of prog stuff, a lot of rock and roll. Um good at also.
1: arranging and yeah, kind of understanding song structure as a mm-hmm. from a drummer perspective. And you really uh, don't get that a lot
2: from from drummers because a lot of times it's like when you're working out a part, the drummer might just be sitting there waiting for you to figure figure out, you know, the harmony, but having him being able to interject and add ideas in that vein was definitely pretty helpful.
1: The other thing I'd say is Andy has an incredible ear. Ryan has an incredible <laughs> ear. I've really, we all had an attention to detail that I don't think, I mean, not to like talk about any other bands, but I, I don't think like the jam band world on average has like the attention to detail that we put into our songwriting. And, 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 and like I'm, I'm a student of music I try to be a student of music and I've learned so much from playing with guys like Andy and Ryan Andy you had an you know just an incredible amount of a wealth of knowledge to pull from to write this stuff and to make this album what it is so there, there was just a, a ton of concentration into getting the details right um, not in a laborious way but in a, in a like a hey this is important like this matters we're not just going to, like, get to the end of the song and, and kind of flub it out or, you know. Like, we, we we knew that it was important to get all those details worked out.
0: All right, before we get more uh, deep into uh, the record here, I do want to get a sense of individually, you guys, and I guess collectively as the band, you have certain sounds. Like, I don't know if any of these bands are your influences. Maybe they are blatantly, and uh, I don't. but I don't want to presume. But uh, I remember when we had some exchange over email, I invoked Humphreys McGee Steely Dan little Herbie Hancock the reign of Kendo, which is kind of a deep cut some twinges tinges of snarky puppy and then Galactic which is another a uh, favorite of mine that's who I think you guys say and then you have your own distinct sound as well but I think it's a lot of that maybe you can toss in another jam band or two um, having said that that's what I hear but I want to know actually what you guys are informed by with your sound what do you like most so Andy you first and Evan what are uh, what are the artists? That, um, that you enjoy most and you actually think, you know, you uh, kind of took from their, their palettes, if you will, when you were building out Mosh Dika? Hmm. That's, a,
2: that's a tough one because uh, I think definitely at the beginning, it was just more so like, where do we fall? If we all just start playing, where is it going to default to, I guess? What's yeah. going to be that common ground? Um, as, and, a, as a group. Yeah. And so, for instance, the first song we wrote, ever as a band was Suitcase, I think. Yep. And the last song we did was Strides, which is the first song on the album. Uh so if you listen to both of those back to back, side by side, whatever, you'll get two completely different stories of like what our influences are. And I don't I don't know. For me, I don't think I was ever really thinking about a specific band when writing. I think it's just an amalgamation of all the influence and what kind of comes out when you're playing with certain people, it might be more subconscious. Maybe I do remember at one point being like, I want this song to maybe sound like, uh, man, I love Dope They're like one of my favorite bands in in the scene. Uh, they're not, you know, as well known as Umphreys. I mean, they're definitely well known. Um, but you know, just, it's kind of hard to say, but you touched on a lot of bands in, in specific kind of, genres i guess that i would say we all kind of pull from uh, whether it be consciously or subconsciously a lot of times a lick will just come out on accident and uh you're like oh that's cool and it wasn't like i'm i'm sitting here trying to write like somebody but uh you know i grew up on classic rock jazz um like tower power blues all that all that good stuff so
1: Andy, yeah if i can if i can toot your horn for a second uh Kind the listeners the listeners here need to know that Andy Blair is a monster guitar player on the record, <laughs> off the record, in Majdika, outside of Majdika. And when we were growing up together, he was a huge Van Halen fan. That, that's true, yeah. And okay. so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of just give you some <laughs> guitar specific influences. It it started with Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> Or before that it was acdc oh you know, yeah here you know. we go
0: which by the way as you continue i get no acdc or evh vibes off your stuff <laughs> which isn't to say that's good or bad I'm just saying it's it's kind of yeah. cool that this is this and that it it,
2: it, de- it definitely put me on a, a certain direction okay. i guess but i don't i don't pull from that at all anymore really. keep
0: blowing up your boy evan let's hear some more <laughs> right and so
1: i mean andy andy's been my teach like in a in a kind of uh, non-super direct way like I don't pay him for lessons or anything but like I've learned so much from playing alongside uh, Andy and so I've I've observed once he moved on from rock and roll because it, it you know you get you reach a certain point and like it's all just like pentatonic and some diminished and some straight up shreddy stuff and so you're like all right I you know I need some more complexity I need some more harmonic uh, interest in color. And, and I think was John Schofield kind of your next major leap from Yeah there? It was,
2: it was Schofield and then Yeah. And then I think I went to school for, for jazz studies. There were some jazz dudes in there and then Jimmy Herring was the, the mm. next big,
0: I can hear a little guy. of that. <clears throat> yeah. I can yeah. hear a little Jimmy Herring in there.
2: I was yeah. definitely, I definitely, uh, really at one point was trying to sound a lot more like that. Um, well, you move, like like everything, you kind of move on from certain things when you wear it a little thin. Uh, and Eric
1: Johnson after Eric,
2: that. Eric Johnson cool. was really in. I was definitely really into that when we recorded the album. But I don't listen to his stuff for songwriting, so that's kind of a different.
0: It's more of like the phrasing. Yeah. The melody. Okay. Um, By the way, anyone listening who might not. So I assume plenty of knowledgeable Jam Band fans are checked in for this episode. But if you're unfamiliar, Jimmy Herring is the lead guitarist for Widespread Panic. Anyway, continue, Evan.
1: Um And then I'll, I'll, I'll fill in to, to kind of Majdika was interesting, is interesting. um The, the lineup that recorded the album is no longer the lineup. So that's why I say was, but yeah. so, yeah, but he, I think Ryan out of all of us was probably the biggest student of music in general. Like he, he just knew random facts about like albums that were recorded from the forties all the way to last year. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was just a a big student of music in general. And then you nailed all of my influences, Matt, um,
0: including like just real quick. It's like the song avarice. There are some steely Dan vibes on that song, man. Like, to Ooh, me, yeah. it seems obvious. Do, does it seem <laughs> obvious to you when you're writing it? Or are you like, man, we got some Dan action going here, or does it just kind of happen naturally?
1: For me, I I was a huge Umphreys McGee fan, still kind of am. It's like your, it's like your your first high school girlfriend that you lose your virginity to. That like, <laughs> that's what Umphreys was for me. Yeah. So I still, I've seen Umphreys like 50 sometimes, oh, and they God. are still kind of that band for me. But Steely Dan was kind of the next band for me like once i got tired of listening to all of Humphrey's stuff i listened to all of steely dan's stuff and <clears throat> i wrote avarice primarily andy definitely wrote a lot of avarice well, we think- wrote like we wrote the those verse chords
2: together i remember it yeah. was that in that room right there you're sitting in
1: yep and you wrote the like the main riff that the song starts with
2: that was definitely stolen not stolen but heavily influenced by some dopa stuff i do remember that the-
1: wrote the melody for the chorus of avarice in the shower and then just like got out of the shower i was like okay i need to apply some steely dan-esque kind of chords that this melody works over because i think a big part of majdika was and, and andy you definitely have like formed this this opinion in me but like how can we keep it intriguing to the brain of someone that has a musical brain. Keep that part interesting, but also make sure that the melody is kind of fundamental. Make sure that the groove is fundamental so that Mm -hmm. everyone can kind of enjoy. And that's what Steely Dan was just the king of. I heard, oh, Andy, you sent me a great critique of Jacob Collier the other oh, no. couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. And it was a critique of Jacob Collier that said this guy is just playing jazzy BS just to play jazzy BS and like there's no fundamentality underneath of it that like brings everyone to the table. And I think Steely Dan was just the king of that.
2: Yeah, I know for me when it comes to writing, uh I've always kind of been in the camp of I want it to have some complexity for people who can enjoy that, but I don't want it to be so overt that it's just being complex to be complex. Like I want it to be, uh, I guess, as I've said a couple of times in the past, is I want it to be palatable to the average listener, something they can grab onto or find enjoyment out of. Because I know there's some bands that do some harmonically, rhythmically complex stuff that's just so out there that, you know your average non-musician listener can't really get anything out of it a lot of music i listen to these days or like really listen to for enjoyment isn't really that complex like i like i'm i'm a sucker for the for a good hook you know i want there to be a good hook in there cuz i want to sing along to it yeah so i mean that that was a big part of it for me i mean some of our songs definitely go a little farther away from that but you know one thing i could i can confidently say is that one of the common trends on the album is to have some basis in reality in the sense of like what most people might find enjoyable musically. It might not be there the whole time. It might go off and drift off, and do whatever, but it's got to start somewhere, I guess.
0: If there's someone that is in a band that um, is trying to kind of make it, they want to cut themselves a four or five song, you know, demo EP, but make it sound really, really good. I want to, if you guys are willing, I'd like to offer some transparencies for you guys. You made a a great sounding eight track long play record, right? How much did that, how much did that cost? Like how much did, you know, I I know you said your former drummer, Ryan Massacar, he was the one who had the engineering expertise. I think he supplied the studio or whatever. So you probably, some of your overhead got kind of taken out, but if someone wants to basically do what you guys have done and, and achieve that, if they think they've got the songs to do it in the first six months. their existence the first year or two of existence how much of a financial commitment uh is it to get something like that out there
1: uh I really don't have a great answer for that I will say that I think there's always a way to find someone in your network that you can work with um that can cut you a little bit of a deal but you know I think what we did was probably no more than taking CD production out and, and right. any like physical reproduction out of the equation. I think we were in it for like maybe 800 bucks, but I think um, to, to go to a random studio and reproduce that maybe you know, three or 4,000 at this point. Um, yeah. The,
2: the, the big uh, I'd say the, the most expensive part is generally going to be the time spent in the studio um, because that can be, Couple of days to a couple of weeks.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: who knows how long it's going to be per day or whatever.
1: And then that hourly rate is obviously dependent on the studio, right? Your relationship with the studio,
0: and also really depends on
2: how good it, how good that studio is.
0: The studio is Renault. the people doing it. Yeah, So you guys really yeah. were able to benefit from the fact that Ryan oh, yeah. just kind of he went to school for this stuff, essentially mm-hmm. he knew it inside and out. He lived it and it, it really kind of uh, helped you get over the the finish line, so to speak.
2: Yeah. And we didn't really even like, it's not like we were expecting him to do that, but I think he enjoyed doing it and he offered up to kind of do it. And uh, you know, we definitely wouldn't have been like, you know, well, we should do this for free since you're our drummer. Yeah, yeah. It was never like that. So it was, it, it makes you feel a little bit better when you know that it's not, you know, expected, but, you know, that, that person just was enjoying doing it as well.
0: Now you guys got your music onto Spotify. How, how much of a challenge is that for an artist? If they're, if they're thinking, even though Spotify pays terribly, we all know this deal, right? Uh, but if an artist is like, listen, if I'm going to get discovered, if I'm in a band or I'm a solo artist or I'm a part of a duo or whatever, um, I know I have to get my music on a streaming service. How tough is the barrier to entry for that? What was the process of submitting your record for consideration and to, to then get it uh, and, you know, to get it done? And how long did that take? That was pretty easy, right? Yeah, I mean, there's services now
1: like DistroKid, and honestly, I haven't looked into it in quite a while. But um, there's some services that will help you copyright your music, distribute it to multiple services. Um, you can you can mail CDs to CD Baby, and they will sell it for you and mail you a check once a certain number of CDs sell. Um, there, there, there's there's serv- it it really isn't that big of a process. I would say like it's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket compared to getting the studio time and writing the songs. And once you've gotten that far, you're you're ninety percent there. I, Distrokid, I think, was the service we used. Yeah, I mean, and I think that
2: takes all of like, if you have all the stuff you know you need right there to fill out the information. I think it takes like an hour, probably.
1: Yeah. Yeah it's essentially paperwork
0: your record is uh i mean it's a truly hidden gem <laughs>
1: Making <laughs> I, me blush uh, over here man it
0: <laughs> is man like i'm listen i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna blow up your spot here, like. Like I, I'm checking your Spotify, you have like, you have you know, a couple dozen monthly listeners. I'm like, how is this possible? So I hope when people listen to this podcast, they go and discover it and discover what you guys are all about. But that being said, you know, we talked about how the pandemic really pushed put pause on you guys. You have had lineup changes. Andy, you also do other things, uh, are involved in other musical projects there that are gonna that are eating up some of your calendar here this year. So am I talking to a couple of guys here that have a band that might, that might be winding down or is there like a real motivation and, and real possibility that going, you know, deeper into 2022 into 23, like what is the future uh, as you know it to be or hope it to be with this band? And, you know, are you looking to play more around the triangle area? You know, people, I want to expose your music to people. I want to see if, uh, if there's a a way for anyone that might be local to, to see you guys, what is the, what is the plan here? And I'll toss this to, I guess to Evan first.
1: To be honest, what we need is we need some help on like the administrative side because the the creative side is easy for us. That's what we have been training for. That you know that and that and like both Andy and I this hasn't been said yet. Both Andy and I's parents my, my dad and his dad were at one point professional musicians that even played together and knew each other in the 80s and did some questionable things together, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, and partied pretty good but uh that side of for us and and ryan too and, and a lot of the guy you know that who we're playing with now like the creative side is easy it's the it's the managing the business side of the band that's that's the challenge and i think for us right before the pan like had the pandemic never happened we would have gotten signed to some small label booking agency and, and a lot of the pressure would have been taken off of like even monitoring an email. I mean, I know that that sounds so mundane, but I get I so you. many emails every single day at work and personally, and like to add a music account on top of that, to man, to, to monitor Instagram messages, Facebook messages and booking requests and negotiating money, you know, pay and time. It's, not not to like get on a soapbox but it is a full-time job to get a band to to that level where it's like we're busy three or four weekends out of a month and for maj we never had that help it was a passion project we were able to um promote ourselves and and we were hot, you know. Like there was a time when it was like the buzz in town was like, "Ooh, this new band is smoking up every show they play. They're writing new stuff. They're they're covering my Sharona. Like, what's happening?" And uh, <laughs> I love it. And, I miss. I, miss I miss doing What the hell is time. going on right
0: now? Dude, my Sharona. That's a killer.
1: That's a killer cover. It is. I know. <laughs> is. All, all the sexual in window. Yeah, yeah, I right. mean, it's just. Yeah, no, I got gotcha. you. I
0: got gotcha. you. Um, but what you're also yeah. saying here is. You need someone to do that, do it well, quite clearly in the early stages. Like, do it because they want to do it for pay that won't be great. Like, you have to, because you don't have a big social media presence, right? Don't have a big YouTube presence. Like, there's just not, you need someone who can help you cultivate that because you want to be able to focus on the main thing, make the main thing, making the songs, being creative, and you don't want to be drained mentally from the other stuff. So, is that really, you might, for all I know, you guys got another five, 10, 15 songs you think you, you can build out here, but you're waiting to see if you can bring someone into your operation, so to speak, that kind of fits this criterion so that you might be able to get that momentum again. Do you think you'll get it? Is there a question that you might not get it? You know, Andy, what's your view on all this?
2: Oh no. I mean, for me, like doing original music is always going to be a priority. It's never going to be something that is like, Oh, I guess I'm, I guess that's not happening. It's like maybe it's just a kind of result of circumstances where, you know, I was, basically, you know, I am a full-time musician right now and I had to find, find something to do to make money and play music. And with the pandemic, you know, it's like a lot of stuff slows down and then, uh, looking, you know, in between musicians and like, we, we've got, we've got actually quite a few new songs that we haven't recorded. Um, and I think we are just kind of trying to find, uh, the right one, trying to finish up these songs and, make sure we have the right outfit. We've got, you know, we've got me, Evan and Dwayne on drums and we're kind of in the middle of bass players. Bass players happen to be very uh, the high, uh hot commodity right now. Okay. So finding one that can play, you know, consistently with you is tough. And also the other tough thing is if you can't find a consistent member having to reteach the songs every single time. So I think a big thing would be finding... Uh, somebody who's available but I mean it's never going to be something that's done for me like I would love to to get things up and running again Um, but I know I need to free up some time in my own personal schedule but uh, it's a little bit
1: of a chicken and egg thing right now because to get to lock down a bass player of the caliber that we need to be like, yes, you guys are my priority. Because we have a great music scene here and a lot of people are busy. You know, a lot of the good musicians are busy because there's a lot of good music happening. And um, we, from October to January, we played like seven gigs. And out of those seven gigs, we played with six different bass players. Wow. <laughs> yeah. it was like okay, every is- gig was a new phenomenal bass player. I mean, we played with a kid... No offense, but he was like 22 in January, showed up to the gig. First time I met him was at the gig and, you know, he he, he crushed it. But to get someone like that to say, you guys are now my priority, we kind of need the other side that I was talking about previously. Like we need that booking agent or administrator to kind of help line up at least four shows three to four shows a month, you know, you need to be at least that busy to kind of keep the rehearsal schedule going. And, and I, I'd kind of told Evan too,
2: um, when I started noticing this trend or we talked about it of just, you know, having this rotating musical chair situation of bass players, I was like, let's just, let's kind of pump the brakes on trying to book stuff and let's maybe focus on getting something uh, you know, some of these songs solidified written and get them recorded in the studio. And maybe that once we find, you know, or figure, figure that aspect out, we can kind of, um, you know, move forward with trying to lock down somebody instead of like teaching this, you know, having to teach somebody these same songs in person because they're not recorded. Uh, Cause we are playing some of the newer stuff live. Mm-hmm. So that just gets, uh, it gets exhausting doing that. So I think that that might be one of.
1: So, not, yeah, not to sound whiny, with the, there's challenges, right? But they're not insurmountable. And um, I would think, to Andy's point, the next step for us might be to just take a chance and go out on a limb and book some studio time with these new songs. And then with that studio session, lock in a new bass player for that session. Or maybe even do the Steely Dan thing and bring a different bass player in for every song. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but you know, like getting into the studio and
2: recording is a big momentum and motivational booster, you know. And I think maybe one of the reasons we haven't done much is because it's been so long since we, you know, put out that record. Um, and then top that with the, I mean, I guarantee the pandemic it didn't happen not to... You know consistently use that as an excuse if that didn't happen i think we would have had like one or two new records by now been playing that Man. probably would have been my full-time gig right now it's just that was like really really poor timing for i mean for a lot of people in different scenarios in their life but but you two um,
0: are the you two are the, basically the nucleus of the band then right accurate mm-hmm. right so yeah. and like clearly the stuff is there and you're saying you're telling me that in the triangle area Raleigh Chapel Hill Durham like there are talented bass players like they they might not be falling from trees but there's a lot of guys out there right they're they're undeniably out there that are good enough oh, to have yeah. the chops they're, yeah
2: they're, they're out there but they are they're definitely working that is for they're sure. just working yeah,
0: yeah. I the, the tunes are good enough where I, I i would hope that uh the right guy would come along and say at the at minimum say yeah I'll give you like maybe he can't give you 100% right off the bat is like Guys, I'm here for, I can give you 75. And then if it, it really gets gets going, then yeah. it becomes 75 <laughs> into 100% there. Uh, to follow up on that, you guys are really illuminating uh, the heart of what I wanted to talk about. And that's just like how challenging it is. Music, you know, playing music, playing live music, can be such a rewarding experience, right? Particularly if you're doing original compositions, the stuff you guys are doing, um, that can be such a thrilling thing to actually put yourself through, right? Like get on a stage. Oh yeah. It's just, there's, right? there's When a
1: crowd is singing the lyrics you wrote, it is like... There's no, you can't describe that, right? you know, it's, ama- it's an amazing experience.
0: And the fact that um, you're trying to kind of make it as a band and do this in the middle of, we're still technically in the middle of this pandemic, right? We haven't even escaped it. It's, it, it seems to me, guys, from the outside looking in, this is really like the kind of, if we're going to make it, it's going if, to, if this doesn't beat us down, then there's nothing that can kind of stop us <laughs> kind of deal. But you're, you're at, I, I don't know if you're at a crossroads, but like, I don't know of another. Band around the tri. Now I don't live there. I'm in Connecticut, uh, but I've got buddies like I did. One of the records and riffs guests, Joe Ovius. He's a sports radio host on 99.9 The Fan. Knows mm. music. I'm gonna tell him all about you. My buddy Will Brinson at CBS Sports. My buddy Chip Patterson, CBS Sports. Both live in Raleigh. Brinson's a huge fish fan. I guarantee you, when I turn him on to this, has also been a guest on this podcast to talk about fish. Um, <laughs> nice. Meanwhile, nice. Chip Patterson was on this podcast to talk about like the most famous act to come out of your area, I guess, or one of them, Ben Foltz five. That was a number of years ago though. Yeah. Um, I guarantee you they'd love your stuff there. So I just don't, I don't get why you were a bigger deal in your area. I know you were big, but like you should have been even bigger. That's all.
2: Well, you know what I I do kind of like though, is that the fact that this can still exist, whether or not it's us trying to make it our Mm -hmm. like first priority every single day, because like it doesn't, you know, the, the great thing about music in general is like, it can just be for you. If you want it to be, it can be for whoever, um, you know, it's not like, it's not like this has to go anywhere. If we don't have a gig tomorrow, you know, cause we we've all got stuff going on. Um, you know, it's, it'll, it'll always be there and we can, I, I like having the, the ability to just, you know, take the time for it if you need to. And, you know, really crank things back up when it, when it works out. And um, you know, I mean, I know, me and Evan aren't going anywhere because we've—he's been one of my best friends for almost twenty years.
0: All right, as we wrap this episode here, we've mentioned a few songs that I've dropped in earlier in the show. Uh, we've talked about Strides, Avarice. We've talked about Suitcase. We talked about Funky La One. Uh, of the ones that we haven't mentioned, Rockfish Sushi Roll. This is what's gonna. This is what's gonna close the pod. Okay, so you're gonna okay. talk about this as we close this out. Rockfish Sushi Roll, Draw Me In, Dark Lens, and Baleen are the four off the record we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, you have to agree on this, even if you disagree. So, which uh, which of those do you think uh, best represents what your band is all about? And uh, I can, you know, drop into the ears of the people listening to this podcast. Give a quick story on that as we wrap here.
2: Well, Baleen, or Baleen, I don't, you know, however you pronounce it, um, is actually just an outro to Dark Lens. So, I think you can probably cut that from the contention.
1: Well, Intender. I would say dr- I would say draw me in. Yeah, I'd agree. Out of that list, Um, because "Draw Me In" is a great live tune. Um, It's the whole like solo section, all all of the movements through the through the end of it, um, always goes over well in front of a crowd. Um, We started doing the the verse um, in the beginning. We started doing it twice back to back which is different from the record because after listening to the record uh, for a year or so I've I've realized that just going verse, chorus, solo (laughs) crazy, you know, compositional solo, uh, it probably needed one more uh, little grounding agent verse before going into all that but And, and stuff that works in the studio might not work
2: live and vice versa, you know, so Sometimes you got to make adjustments. Like, you can't do a fade out ending live. I mean, you could, but you know, it wouldn't quite go over as well. So, sometimes you got to make you know, adjustments. But I agree on the um, draw me in.
0: Right. Draw me in will be what, be what will literally be playing over us right now as I uh, as I wrap this episode. Fellas from Majdika, I appreciate this. Evan Bost, Andy Blair, listen, next time you got a gig, I'm going to be down in the Triangle area. Caroline and Duke kind of good at hoops i've been down there plenty i'll make the. i'll be i'll make another trip there so hopefully we can uh we can meet up and i can see you guys in action here and hopefully uh really cool things are are happening on the horizon soon in 2022 or even into 2023 thank you for joining me just to talk about your kick-ass band that way more people should know about and again if you're into jam band scene modern scene little Prague, anything from Umfries to uh, Dopa Pod, maybe a little special—all sorts of different kind of acts there. I think you will find stuff to like in Majdika, gentlemen. Thanks for joining. Matt,
1: us. thank you so much. Yes, thanks, Matt. It has been a pleasure.
0: Thanks again to Evan Bost and Andy Blair for giving a little time and giving some honest insight, a real look into what it means to try and quote unquote make it. And that even that term, which is broad, has a lot of interpretations to many different artists from many different walks of life and the way that they're approaching their art. But to sustain yourself, you know, to make a living off of your musical creations, there's no telling if that will happen with these guys in this particular project or not. If you do like Majdika. feel free to you know find them, let them know they are the, the guys are on Instagram. I think they've got the band account on Instagram as well. Again, if you want to listen in the description for this podcast episode on your phone as you're listening or at mattnorlander.com, I'll link to both the YouTube page and their Spotify page. But such a fascinating peek inside. And there are obviously there are many, many bands like this that you know, these guys are not unique in the sense that talented musicians had crafted something with some real promise and then the pandemic essentially ended that for a lot of musical groups and other entities as well but if you're you know if you still have the desire to do it and you can get an audience maybe there's maybe there's a chance there but as they depicted you know the administrative side can mean just as much the marketing the advertising and all of that so found that pretty intriguing pretty enlightening and i appreciate their honesty and transparency when it comes to a lot of this stuff there's no telling where they will go from here maybe they will get some momentum maybe it'll stall out and they'll create another band altogether, do something else but those guys are really good buds really longtime friends and they've they've helped make something that's that's pretty fantastic and hey if this small podcast can help expose them to a few other people I uh, would love it because I think that they are a hidden gem of a band and they're self-titled LP. I mean, I've probably played it seven or eight times since I first discovered it in May of 2022. Thanks again for listening. If you are discovering this podcast for the first time because, frankly, you were familiar with Majdika and wanted to hear someone talk about a band you really, really liked, again, I'm Matt Norlander. You can rate and subscribe this. It is available on iTunes and it will actually also be available on Amazon Podcasts any day now. So feel free to... Uh, hop on i have a variety of different kinds of episodes some will be more uh, niche bakes like this and then obviously as you can tell from the feed we have definitely hit on some relatively well-known bands as well thank you again for listening another episode's coming real soon until then enjoy the rest of draw me in as it brings us out for this particular episode thanks again